Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is CNN Breaking News. Hello, I'm Julia Chatley in New York, where we're following two breaking news stories this hour. In the UK, a parliamentary showdown as Conservative Party rebels try to block Prime Minister Johnson's Brexit plans, all the while, of course, under threat of a snap general election. And in the Bahamas, widespread damage and flooding as the residents wait for a weakened Hurricane Dorian to finally move on. So far, Dorian refusing to budge, continuing to batter the Bahamas. It's caused devastation on some of the islands, killing at least five people, including an eight-year-old boy. It's been downgraded to a Category 3 storm, but heavy rain and winds of up to 190 kilometers per hour still lashing the islands. That's set to carry on for the next few hours, with Dorian then predicted to slowly, slowly move north towards Florida. Our Patrick Gottman is in Freeport on the island of Grand Bahama and sent this report. Hurricane Dorian unleashing its fury on the Bahamas. The record-setting storm striking, leaving behind catastrophic destruction. Wind gusts spiking over 200 miles per hour, becoming the most powerful storm to hit the islands. Dorian shredding homes here and sending debris across neighborhoods. The initial reports from Abaco is that the devastation is unprecedented and extensive. They are deeply worrying. The images and videos we are seeing are heartbreaking. Many homes, businesses, and other buildings have been completely or partially destroyed. Heavy rains creating blinding conditions. Some towns submerged in floodwaters. Dorian making landfall in the Abaco Islands on Sunday, leaving utter devastation. Pray for us, pray for Abaco, please. I'm begging you. My baby is only four months old, please. Pray for us. Listen to a mother's desperate plea. Gertha Joseph waiting with other residents along with her baby. Their apartment building now roofless and surrounded by murky floodwaters rising around them. People trying to make it to the other side with this white um, houses, but some people, um, the water just took them. And those are the only people that got to make it over there. Some people didn't get to make it. Those horrifying scenes were playing again and again across the Bahamas. This hole keeps getting bigger in the roof. With the scale of the destruction now coming to light, haunting images showing Hurricane Dorian's dangerous power as it now takes aim at the U.S. coastline. Patrick Ottman, CNN, Freeport, Bahamas. Just awful images there. All right, let's get the latest forecast for the hours and the days ahead. Meteorologist Alison Chinchar is at the CNN Weather Center for us. Alison, great to have you with us. Just talk us through what we should be expecting now in the coming hours. 
Right, so what we're hoping for in the coming hours is for this thing to gradually start to make its way to the north. We know the forward speed is not that much. It's just about two kilometers per hour. But keep in mind, for much of the last 24 hours, it's been basically stationary. So just to finally see some forward movement is a good sign. We hope it continues. We hope it actually starts to pick up speed and continue away from the Bahamas. Also, at the same time, away from Florida, almost just kind of on a due north track and then eventually head out towards the Atlantic. And that is the overall plan for this storm. But again, as we know, these things kind of have a mind of their own and any slight wobbles to the west, south, any direction could shift some of that track. Here's a look at the hurricane hunters that have been out investigating this all morning long. Again, they are starting to head back to, uh, towards land. They, we do have uh, hurricane watches, warnings, tropical storm watches and warnings in effect up and down the coast, not only of Florida, but as well as portions of Georgia and South Carolina. This is why. Look at these wind speeds. Again, 96 kilometers per hour in Stewart, you'll start to notice Melbourne, Daytona Beach, a lot of these numbers starting to increase as it slides up the coast. Even states like Georgia, South Carolina, and North Carolina, Charleston, places like Savannah will start to see their numbers go up. It's just going to be a delayed effect. It's not going to impact them for at least 24 to 36 hours. Storm surge also going to be a major factor with this particular storm. Say places from Jupiter up towards Daytona Beach, you're talking about one to one and a half meters, where you see that orange color. Then just north of Daytona Beach, all the way up towards Charleston, South Carolina, we're now focused on about one to two meters total. Keep in mind that areas of the Bahamas are still going to get some storm surge because the system just simply hasn't moved away. So that's going to be another factor there. The storm is not over yet. Again, this is where we expect that path, even though it won't technically make a true landfall necessarily over portions of Florida. It's going to be close enough that you're going to get those heavy bands of rain, not only in Florida, but also portions of Georgia, South Carolina, even North Carolina. I mean, look at all of this heavy rain. Now, it is really going to hit a very close point and potentially making landfall uh, with the highest likelihood over portions of North Carolina. If you have any travel plans in any of those states, please check with your airline carriers. Here's the reason why we believe it's going to take that track. You have this high pressure system right here, another one located in portions of the Gulf, basically boxing the storm in. You've also got this trough dropping down from the United States, which is basically just locking it in place. That's why it really hasn't moved much. But we're hoping at some point it will start that northward turn out over into the open Atlantic. And when it does, hopefully then it will take a lot of the conditions with it. Julia? Alison, thank you so much for joining us and giving us that update there. All right, Patrick Ottman can now join us live. He's in Freeport, as we were just hearing, uh, hearing earlier. Patrick, great to have you with us. We just played your report and you was, we were surveying pictures of the damage. Have you managed to get outside yet to have a look at, at what's going on and the damage that's been wrought? Or are you still trapped inside at this moment? Uh, no, I have not. Uh, I, I, I have not because uh, we've had to do live shots this morning. So uh, we are hoping to get out. We very much want to get out and see the damage. Uh, but if we are live on TV with you, uh, we can't do that. So uh, our hope is uh, to get out and see it because we now, for the first time uh, in days, we have weather conditions that allow us uh, to get out and, and actually uh, do some reporting. Uh, up until now, it was just too dangerous to leave. It is still uh, not great uh, because uh, helicopters cannot come in, planes cannot come in, far too dangerous uh, for boats to come in and bring supplies. So people here are still, days after the storm has hit, on their own. And that is really uh, what is uh, driving this crisis now and it is a crisis is that people are used to preparing for one or two days uh, of a hurricane and then expecting some services 
uh, some help after a storm. There is no help. There are no services. Things are worse uh, than they were yesterday. Cell phone services are down. No one has power. Uh, and it is uh, increasingly dire as people run out of food, run out of water. They're going to hospitals that are underwater. Uh, they are not able to get calls out uh, in many places. And uh, they are hoping that help will come in. But you know, even though the, the hurricane has lessened, it is traveling very, very slowly to the north. Uh, it means still these weather conditions that it's too dangerous to fly into the airport, which is underwater. It has uh, so far been uh, impossible to get in those Coast Guard helicopters. We are hoping the weather conditions will lighten up, uh, will uh, allow later on today for help to be uh, to come in because it is absolutely needed. We have seen people who have uh, just walked into the building we are because their neighborhoods are underwater uh, and they have left with the clothes on their back, carrying animals, uh, carrying people who have been hurt in this hurricane. And right now, if you are not receiving help from your neighbors or your friends or your family, uh, there is no help for people. Uh, again, uh, it's an ugly, ugly situation. And the sense that I have is things are not improving, things are getting worse. And Patrick, I mean, we're showing pictures now of the sheer scale of flooding. I mean, I think it's tough to appreciate just how you get around, how you try and help people in this scenario. How do you communicate in these kind of conditions when there is no power, when emergency services can't get in at this stage? How are people communicating? So right now, uh, we brought from uh, Atlanta, our producer Jay Garcia brought a generator. That's the only way we have power right now. We have enough gas for another day or two. Hopefully we'll get some more. Uh, we have enough food for, for a couple more days. Uh, we have filled up our bathtubs with water. Uh, we're not showering, but we're able to you know, brush our teeth and drink that. Uh, we prepared for this as best as we can. I think other people who this is not what they do, uh, imagine if you're elderly. Imagine uh, if you have pets. Uh, imagine uh, if you had gone through other hurricanes here and it perhaps wasn't that bad. Imagine if you are in a, uh, an area that floods. Uh, you have been caught completely unawares, perhaps. Uh, there's a portion of this island that is Haitian, and, and they don't listen to English language news services. Uh, they are very hard hit, I'm told. So I think for many people, and, and there are you know, whole communities here, they're, they're very poor, uh, and they just don't have the wherewithal uh, to go out and buy several days of food. I think these vulnerable populations are really suffering now. We are hearing reports of people who have rode this out on the top of the roofs uh, in their cars or who are completely homeless now. So we do hope to be able to go out and bring you those people's stories uh, because, uh, again, uh, the, the situation is getting worse here. It is not getting better. And, and certainly I'm not criticizing the Bahamian government. They're doing everything they can, uh, but it's quite clearly not enough. Yeah, it's so important to be there to, uh, to share these conditions. Patrick, thank you so much. Stay safe. Patrick Ottman in Freeport there for us. All right, let's turn now to our other major story today. The Brexit showdown in the UK. The British Parliament back in session after a six-week recess with an attempt by MPs to take a no-deal Brexit scenario off the table here. The pound falling sharply as investors await today's debate. It fell below that 120 level, as you can see. We're just above there right now. That, though, for the first time since October of 2016. In the meantime, UK stocks 
also under pressure as well, along with the other European markets, the French and the Swiss stocks among the weakest performers there too. Brexit, just one of the many uncertainties weighing on US investors' futures right now under pressure, as you can see, our first session here in the United States since the Labor Day holiday. Also the first trading day since the new Fresh U.S. and Chinese tariffs took effect this past weekend. U.S. consumers really for the first time firmly in the firing line too. All right, lots to discuss. Let's bring it back to Brexit though. The scene now set for an explosive political battle in London. Lawmakers have returned to Parliament, are expected to vote on a bill to delay Brexit beyond that deadline of October 31st. If that vote succeeds... Prime Minister Boris Johnson threatening to ask Parliament for a general election, although he did say last night that's not what he wants. I don't want an election. You don't want an election. Let's get on with the people's agenda, fighting crime, improving the NHS, boosting schools, cutting the cost of living, unlocking talent and opportunity across the entire United Kingdom with infrastructure, education and technology. It is a massive agenda. Bianca Navido joins us now from Westminster. Bianca doesn't want an election, but he didn't half lay out his campaign priorities there as he came out of Downing Street, I have to say. But talk us through what we expect in the coming hours, because it is going to be a pivotal day, I think, in Parliament behind you. A monumental day, a historic week, Julia, and I couldn't agree more with your assessment of Boris Johnson last night on the steps of Downing Street. He said that he didn't want an election, but then basically campaigned on the health service, on safety on the streets and more spending for the United Kingdom. And it's an important week for him, to put it mildly. That's because not only is he faced with trying to deliver on his key legislation and that is to get that britain out of the european union but he's trying to hold his party together and stay in power and how he does any of those things is a is yet to be yet to be seen so key in his priorities for this week is to try and avoid parliament taking control of parliamentary business now julia what that means is as we know the government is usually in charge of deciding what parliamentary business happens and when the opposition have a certain number of debates where they can take control of the agenda a year but what we're seeing today is an unprecedented situation where there's going to be an emergency debate then mps will get to vote on whether or not they take control of the agenda tomorrow now as you outlined boris johnson said that if they're successful in doing that to try and thwart his leaving the EU on the 31st of October, then he will call for a general election. But it's not that simple. Under the Fixed Term Parliaments Act of 2011, he would need a two-thirds majority of the House of Commons to get that election, or he would fail a no-confidence vote. That could lead to a general election. But this is key, Julia, and something that I was reminded of by lawmakers who are very senior this morning. They reminded me that actually Theresa May was looking at repealing that Fixed Term Parliaments Act back in 2017 when she decided to call a snap election. So that would only require a parliamentary majority, just a majority of one, a simple majority, rather than a two-thirds majority. So that could be something that Boris Johnson's also looking at if he needs to go to his last resort and call a general election. Let's game this out. Let's say MPs today decide that they're going to postpone Brexit beyond October 31st. They also agree as a result of that to go to fresh elections because Jeremy Corbyn says he wants to go to a general election here. 
what happens if Boris then wins? Could he overturn that decision? And does he even need to listen to MPs who say they want to extend Article 50 anyway? All excellent questions, Julia. And as in Britain, we have an uncodified, unwritten constitution. It's very difficult to answer those because we are in uncharted territory. On the issue of whether or not Boris Johnson could decide to go ahead with exiting the European Union anyway, if there was another election and Boris Johnson did get a clear majority, perhaps the Brexit party helped him win some seats, and then the majority decided for Britain to leave, then I don't see anything that could get in the way of that in terms of the legislature. There's also a concern that if there is an election that is very close to the date that Britain is supposed to be leaving the EU, that the government might somehow be able to use executive powers when Parliament's not sitting and we're getting that new set of MPs to allow Britain to leave the European Union in that time. All of this has never been done before. It's completely untested. So we don't know the answers. And that's why I'm always reminded of advice that was given to me right at the beginning of this after the referendum by a sagacious MP. And he said to me, this will come down to the shrewdest legislative minds who can see the parliamentary procedures and the loopholes and use the speaker in his discretion to the best of their ability. Because we, we really don't have a roadmap for this, Julia. There, there is no way to tell how this week is going to end. And I, I've been walking past the protests, I could barely move. There's so much disagreement on the streets between the Leave supporters and the Remain supporters. And so as without is within. It's the same in the chamber of the House of Commons. So there, there really is no way of knowing how this week is going to end up. No, I know. There's a lesson in there somewhere, which is write a constitution. And all the while, the EU leaders just let the UK argue amongst themselves. They don't even have to negotiate. Bianca, great job. Thank you so much. We'll be back with you later on in the show. Bianca Nabila there in Westminster. All right, we're going to take a break. Coming up, though, on First Move, a September slide. US stocks look set to drop as Wall Street returns to fresh tariffs. Stay with us to take a look at the open here. And, of course, we'll also be talking plenty more about Brexit and a recap of the latest on Hurricane Dorian, too. Stay with us. Welcome back to the show. We've just been observing a moment of silence here at the New York Stock Exchange to honour the West Texas shooting victims this weekend. All right, we're live at the New York Stock Exchange. Let me give you a look at what we're seeing for the U.S. markets this morning. Of course, the first session of the week following the Labor Day holiday, and we are losing ground here down by some eight-tenths of 1% for the Dow. And what we are traditionally see is one of the most volatile times of the year here on Wall Street. Quick look at what's going on in currency land as well. The British pound weakening to not seen levels for around, uh, what, some three years. The pound losing some 20% of its value since the 2016 Brexit vote. Back then it was sitting at $1.50, as you can see, to the pound. Not traded consistency below that level, actually, that 120 level since 1985. What a mess. Tina Fordham, Chief Global Political Analyst at City, joins us now. Tina, always a pleasure. I will never forget when you said to me there was a political nervous breakdown going on in the yes. UK. Are we looking at crescendo point here this week? I think that this uh, crisis could continue further. Um, the, what you're seeing in the British press at the moment is that this is going to be the most volatile week in, in UK politics, perhaps since the referendum over three years ago. This is the first day Parliament will sit in session. Uh, but meanwhile, um, newly installed uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson has really stolen a march uh, on Parliament because he's had a month 
to control the debate. Mm. Do you think the rebel MPs that seem to be swirling behind the scenes vote against the government here and try and rule out a no-deal Brexit? Is that the scenario that we're looking at in the coming hours? Well, the very idea that rebel conservative MPs would actually uh, go against uh, the whip um, in, in, and their party uh, really is in, is in contrast to what we all tend to think about politics, that party first. And so that really underscores what's different about the Brexit debate. The idea of going for a no-deal, crash-out Brexit has actually led to a situation where conservative MPs between 10 and 20 uh, might go against the Prime Minister and risk losing their seats. Now, most investors will say turkeys never vote for Thanksgiving or Christmas, as we say in the UK, uh, but we may see that tonight, and that just highlights how Brexit is existential. It is not like another election or political debate. It's such a great point, and actually I have this conversation a lot. This is not something where you get a leader of a country that, okay, you may like or dislike them, but you can perhaps vote again in four years' time or four years after, like here in the United States. This is a generational change and why people feel so passionately about it. Yes. Assuming this goes against Boris Johnson, what then? Because he'd suggested, and he suggested it again last night, that if this vote goes against him and a no-deal Brexit is ruled out here, it undercuts his negotiating position with the EU. He can't threaten them with that risk in order to get a better deal here. Do we then potentially see him calling for, for a general election? And if we do, do parliamentarians agree? Because he needs two-thirds majority here to even have a general election. And this is why it's impossible to draw a decision tree for the kind of spider's web of options. This, unlike many other political risks, is not a binary option. Brexit or no Brexit, early elections um, or, or government stays in power. You're right, Boris Johnson, who, who succeeded Theresa May when she stepped down, wants a mandate. Um, but he doesn't want to say that he wants an election. Uh, and so, um, you know, gaming out these scenarios is very difficult indeed. Um, there's a risk that he uh, does what Matteo Salvini recently did in Italy uh, and overreaches his yes. position, uh, which has backfired in the Italian case. Um, this is going to be a very difficult debate in the House of Commons today, tonight in the UK. Um, will the rebel MPs hold their nerve? Will Labour follow through on what its leader Jeremy Corbyn has said, that they want an early election? Because our scenarios suggest that Labour might not do so well. So how do you trade this? And this is the gamble here. It's a gamble, I think, for voters. It's yes. also a gamble here for investors when you're looking at this scenario. What's least palatable here? Is it a no-deal Brexit? Mm. Or is it a, a, a Prime Minister Jeremy Corbyn here? Because there's well, a lot of discontent outside of the, the and, Labour and Party no, masses. there's no constructive scenario for markets or for the UK economy, right. right? Other than status quo continuing. What markets fear most, what UK investors fear most, um, is uh, undoubtedly uh, a Corbyn-led Labour government in number 10. Is that right? Yes. We've gone beyond fearing a no-deal Brexit scenario. The bigger fear now is Jeremy Corbyn in number 10. But I think, we ha yes, and we have to put some nuance around that scenario, though, because, again, according to the election scenarios, the chances of a majority Labour government or any majority government are very slim indeed. But you have to remember that the manifesto 
for this Labour government is a radical left to an extent that hasn't been seen in the UK for decades, including um, expropriation of shares of, of uh, large companies, um, a, uh, a, um, a scheme for renters to, to buy from landlords, not at market prices. All of that uh, is something markets fear. But, if I can say, um, I think uh, investors overestimate the extent to which a, you know, a no-deal Brexit would represent a kind of a, a, a line drawn mm. under this crisis. It's the end of the beginning. It's not an end in itself. Yeah, so even if we see a no-deal Brexit, it's just the beginning to uh, everything else, all ruling that of out. Years of uncertainty, political and economic. What a mess. Start and finish the same way. Tina Fordham, great to have you with us as always. Thank you so much. We will come back to this conversation again, no doubt. All right, after the break, we're taking you to Westminster, where MPs will vote later on today on blocking a no-deal Brexit. It's an issue that's divided the House, and as we were just discussing, the whole country too. Stay with us. Plenty more to come. Welcome back to the show. Over in the UK, the House of Commons soon to be in session. The stage is set for one of the fiercest Brexit battles since the 2016 referendum. Lawmakers will vote tonight on a bill to try and block a no-deal Brexit. The Prime Minister vehemently opposing the move. He says he will fire any members of his party who vote for the bill and will call a general election if Parliament backs it. Conservative MP Nigel Evans joins us now. Nigel, fantastic to have you on the show and welcome back. Is the Prime Minister going to lose the vote tonight? Will Parliament vote against it? Well, we won't have long to uh, wait. The vote will be 10 p.m. UK time. But what we do know that in the past, when uh, Conservative rebels joined with the Labour Party to try and wrestle control of the order paper, they succeeded. So I suspect the assumption must be that they will succeed tonight in taking control of the order paper, which means tomorrow a bill will be presented to Parliament which will say to Boris Johnson, if you're unable to get a deal with the European Union, then you have to ask for an extension of Article 50, that means we don't leave, for another three months at least. That's until January 2020. Well, I was in the garden of uh, Downing Street, which is uh, the Prime Minister's official residence, and he spoke to about 200 Conservative MPs, and he said, if this happens, I will not go to Brussels and demand an extension of Article 50. And so, really, the options are, are, are very limited for him, and I suspect where we're heading um, is going to be an early election, and they're talking about as early as October the 14th. But we do have a fixed-term Parliament Act, which means that Parliament would have to vote for that. But it does seem absurd to me uh, that a Conservative government is prepared to go to the country early, and it is the opposition that tries to stop us doing that. It's going to be up to the people then to decide uh, uh, whether they want Brexit or not. Jeremy Corbyn has suggested he wants to see general elections too. Do you anticipate that actually the Prime Minister will get that two-thirds majority to hold fresh elections on October 14th? Well, there's so many unpredictable things happening in British politics at the moment. I'm afraid that is one of them because I was speaking to a Labour MP earlier today and I said, are you getting ready for the election? And he said, do you think I'm going to vote for an early general election? You've got to be mad. We'd lose it. And so there is a lot of speculation out there that a number of Labour MPs just simply will not vote 
for an early election. But Jeremy Corbyn, for the last two years, has been calling for an early uh, general election. He said he didn't want to see a second referendum. He'd rather have an early election. Uh, and so I, I find it rather strange that if uh, Boris Johnson does come to Parliament later this week and then says, right, Parliament, I want you to vote on a dissolution of Parliament in order that we can get that early election, I'd find it incredibly bizarre uh, if it got voted down by the opposition. This is the government basically saying, though, that they don't believe they can get any form of deal here, that the no-deal Brexit is the nuclear option here. And there are plenty of people that voted for Brexit but didn't assume that Brexit would mean no deal at all and a clean break with the EU. Are we really doing what the British people want here by trying to force a no-deal Brexit scenario? Well, I think the answer to that is yes, Julie, because... Um, uh, all it said on the ballot paper is, do you want to remain or leave the European Union? And whilst we said that we would try and get a deal with the EU, of course, if the EU doesn't want to negotiate properly with the Prime Minister, if, he's not, if uh, Michel Barnier, the EU negotiator, is not prepared uh, to do anything about the backstop uh, between Ireland and Northern Ireland, which is a real sticking uh, point for a number of uh, MPs at Westminster, uh, then quite frankly, it's the European Union that are stopping that particular deal. And what the Prime Minister said last night in, in Downing Street to us was that it is some of the Remain Conservative rebels, they are the ones who are making no deal more likely because what's happening is the European Union are looking at what's going on at Westminster. If they believe that Parliament will try and stop the United Kingdom leaving without a deal, then why would they come to the negotiating table and offer anything other than what they've currently offered? And that deal that they have offered, of course, has been rejected by Parliament three times. No, I agree with you. I think Conservative Party governments have done a better job of negotiating and fighting amongst themselves than they have with any attempt at tackling the EU here to, to get a better deal, Nigel. Ultimately, there's a big gamble still here if we go to fresh elections. And we're just looking at live pictures actually now of the House of Commons formally back in session. But there's a risk here that we have a repeat of what happened with Theresa May. She calls an election and actually ends up weaker as a result. What then? Yeah, I, no, I doubt it because uh, I remember that general election and we were 24 points in the lead going into the election. And we brought forward probably the most disastrous manifesto that I have ever fought an election on in the 27 years I have been a member of Parliament. It, was, it had the grim reaper uh, on the front page uh, and really basically threatening uh, elderly people that they'd lose their houses if they had to go in for social care. And so we lost a lot of support uh, during that election. The, in fact, the lead went down from 24% to 1%. But a lot has happened since that, that time, of course. We've got a new uh, Prime Minister in Boris Johnson and I've been around my constituency in Lancashire in England over the past four days. And I've spoken to a lot of people and I'm, I'm getting the thumbs up from people who are not ordinary Conservative voters. They think he's actually doing a good job. And all the opinion poll ratings that we've seen over the past few days uh, now indicate that the Conservative Party might well get uh, a majority of about 69, which, of course, would be fantastic for Boris Johnson. But none of this, of course, needs to happen because... Um, all, all that needs to happen is that tonight they do not take control of the order paper, that they do not try and force uh, the Prime Minister's hands. He said last night to us, if, if, if they tell me that I've got to go back to Brussels and I've got to accept a deal, 
that really does weaken my negotiating position. And it does, if you think about it. If, if the European Union know that he's got to accept a deal, then they're just going to give a very bad deal. The Prime Minister needs that opportunity to be able to walk away. And if, if the European Union know that he's got the backing uh, of Parliament in doing that, then I'm absolutely certain they'll get straight back to that negotiating table and we'll get a good deal from the European Union, one that benefits them as well as us. Nigel, I guess the only uh, aside I should mention there is that the polls have been wrong in the past, so we have to uh, be a little bit cautious about reading into those. Um, but for voters looking at the Conservative Party, there are many, whether they're Remainers or Brexit, say actually the country's in a generational debacle now as a result of Conservative Party politics. Would you agree with that? And actually that for, for many people looking at this situation, there's very little reason actually to trust the Conservative Party in power anymore. No, and I'll tell you why, because um, since Boris Johnson became leader of the party, he's made multiple announcements on things like extra money for the National Health Service, for mental health care, £14 billion over the next uh, three years for education, so that all parts of the United Kingdom are getting uh, 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 extra money provided into their education, and 20,000 extra police on the streets, because we know that there is a problem uh, with law and order. Uh, and we've still got a very strong economy, and tomorrow, the Chancellor of the Exchequer will be giving an indicator as the sort of budget that we can expect should we be in a position to give that budget. Uh, and so um, I think that's one of the reasons why our poll rating has over quadrupled uh, since we took part in the European Union elections. Uh, and, and so um, that's why I'm fairly content, quite frankly, that uh, we want to get Brexit out of the way so we can start to talk about all these other issues. Um, the next general election, yes, will clearly be about who are we going to put into number 10, in order to deliver Brexit or whatever Brexit it's going to be, or indeed even to stop Brexit if you vote for the Liberal Democrats. But there are so many other issues out there that people want us to get on with. Now, on that point, I couldn't agree more. Let's bring it back to a policy, please. Nigel Evans, uh, fantastic to have you on as always over in Westminster there. No doubt we'll Pleasure. speak again Thank you soon. Very much. All right, leave means leave, with or without a deal. That says, uh, Boris, uh, says Prime Minister Boris Johnson, excuse me. The coastal town of Clacton-on-Sea, though, voted to leave in 2016. But how do people feel about doing so without a deal? Anna Stewart joins me now. Actually, that's a great question, and I was just posing it there. Anna, majority people there voted to leave the EU, but what are they saying about the situation we're in now? Are they willing to see us leave without a deal? They really are, I'd say, overall, Julia. And actually, although this area voted 69.5% to leave back in 2016, and more recently in those European parliamentary elections, they voted overwhelming for the Brexit party. But despite that, there are some Remainers. And I've spoken to both Remainers and Brexiteers here. And the general consensus from both sides is just one of frustration over politics. Take a listen to what they had to say. Today, the MPs get back from their holiday and they're going to try and mount some sort of rebellion where they'll hijack the parliamentary agenda, ban a no-deal Brexit. Um, that might bring on an election. Of all these sort of bits... <laughs> it's just a horrible mess. I just think we need to get on with it. Get out. How's Boris Johnson doing? Seems to be doing a good job. If only he can get us out on the 31st. Would you rather have no deal or a delay? A no deal. I'd rather leave without a deal. I think the UK can stand on its own. We might have a few hiccups, but um, yes, I think we can. 
Interestingly, everyone I spoke to today, I posed the question, how do they think the new prime minister is doing? And actually, the general consensus is he's doing a good job. They think he's a tough negotiator. Whether or not they would vote for him if there was a general election, though, Julia, that is a different question. Yeah, it's fascinating, though. The, the narrative does feel like it's changed, particularly among the Brexiteers. Anna Stewart, great job. Thank you so much for that. All right, coming up on First Move, we'll be following the path of Hurricane Dorian as it devastates the Bahamas and sets its eye then on the U.S. East Coast. We'll be taking you live to Florida for the preparations there next. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome back to the show. Hurricane Dorian continuing to linger over the Bahamas. The storm has already claimed the lives of at least five people, including an eight-year-old boy. Dorian has been battering the island since Sunday afternoon with winds approaching 300 kilometers an hour. It's now eased a little. It's been downgraded to a category three hurricane. It's not expected though to move until later this morning when it's forecast to head north towards the US East Coast. Leila Santiago joins us from Fort Pierce, Florida. Leila, great to have you with us. Four days really since we've been talking about this and Floridians have been preparing. Talk us through what they're expecting there and the preparations that have been made. Well, the county administrator actually just said that they are expecting tropical force winds through tomorrow morning. He's asking the residents here for patience because he understands that this is a slow moving storm. And so folks may think that uh, they're in the clear. They may be relieved from what they have seen in terms of the track of it. But he says while they are under a hurricane warning, which is in effect right now, uh, that they will not let their guard uh, guard down as uh, emergency responders. Now, you know, let's kind of back up to your point. Uh, th yesterday, they said, oh, tonight is going to be the worst of it. Uh, that didn't happen here. Today, they're saying the same thing. They say, okay, today we expect that we will see the worst of it. This has just been such a tough storm for them to predict and monitor. Um, so the fear for emergency responders now are that people are going to lose their patience. They're going to wander out. I should mention this area is under a mandatory evacuation. Uh, they are expecting storm surge, coastal erosion. Of course, flooding is always an issue in those low-lying areas. And, and the wind is starting to pick up. We really haven't seen much rain. But last night when we were here about uh, 12 hours ago, that's when we started to feel uh, the winds of, of Dorian start to pick up here in this area. In the meantime, a lot of folks just waiting to see where this storm will go. To your point, Leila, when you went exactly to it, it feels like given the time that we've been talking about this, there's a risk of complacency. Have there people, people who've been stubborn here and said, look, we, we want to hang around it, maybe an evacuation zone, but we're going to stay. Have you spoken to people that have made that choice here? Uh, I was actually just in a diner this morning and I and I spoke to one man who is, is working at the diner. He says he has a home on this very island where we are right now, Hutchinson Island. He seemed to not be too concerned um, about what would happen to his property. I, I, again, I, I think there is a, a sigh of relief among people here given that they didn't see much last night in terms of damage. There were some power outages. They have about 
400 people right now without power. But that said, uh, given that there was at some point a threat of a Category 5 storm, uh, there is a bit of relief, but ur uh, emergency workers are really urging folks not to let their guard down. No, stay vigilant. Leila, thank you for being there and uh, bringing us up to speed with that. Leila Santiago there joining us from Florida. All right, you're watching First Move. We'll be right back. More to come. Welcome back to First Move. We're 20 minutes into the first trading session of the week here at the New York Stock Exchange. And as you can see, we are lower. Lots of risks and concerns abound. Let's talk through some of them. Joining us now is uh, Christina Hubachi's Chief Global Market Strategist at Invesco. Christina, always great to have you great on. To be here. I want to start with Brexit because that's obviously bubbling in the surface and we've now got to Parliament in session debating what to do next. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are that the economic policy uncertainty continues. Yeah. You know, I always have to look at it from the perspective of the economy. And all this chaos, all this uncertainty really just tamps down business investment and then will ultimately tamp down hiring and consumer spending the longer it lasts. So it doesn't even really matter what the political outcome is, whether we go to fresh elections or whatever we see, the bottom line is it creates this environment of uncertainty which undermines confidence, whether that's businesses, consumers, you name it. Absolutely, and yeah. that can be economically deadly. Yeah, well, we get that. What we also saw this week, and of course, was the imposition of yet more tariffs from the United States and China. We're kind of seeing the market, I think, reacting to a bit of that as well. Consumers well and truly in the firing line now. Absolutely. Well, there was a lot of positive sentiment last week, yes. and uh, it seemed to really be pervasive. But we've seen that before, right? The market wants to hang on anything that it perceives to be positive. Yes. Um, but we are, I think, a lot more realistic today as we come back in terms of markets, um, recognizing that if the U.S. and China can't even agree to a date in which to have trade talks, we're probably not close to any kind of resolution. And to be fair, you've said that all the way along, that your expectations for a deal are, are that much more conservative perhaps than than other people that are discussing this at this moment. Something that you are looking at though which I found fascinating was the expectations gap in US consumers right now just reacting to the environment and the noise level. Talk me through this. Sure. Well, the consumer has really been the pillar of strength Powerhouse. in the U.S. economy. Yeah. And, of course, that helps that uh, the consumer is more than two-thirds of GDP. So um, that's a critical part of what we need to look at to understand where the economy is headed. And while the consumer remains strong, we've seen some weakness in the overall consumer sentiment numbers. But what I focus in on is the expectations yes. gap. And that's the difference between what consumers' perceptions of current conditions are and consumers' perceptions of the future in terms of economic outlook is. And what we've seen is that both have declined, um, but they're declining a lot more significantly for outlook than they are for current conditions. When that gap widens, that suggests that an economic downturn is coming. Not necessarily a recession, but of course if the gap widens um, even more, then we should be even more concerned and more focused. I mean, we've been through a period of two weeks where we've been talking about the recession risks as a result of the, the movements that we've seen in the, the bond market in particular. I mean, what's the risk that actually that's just consumers reacting to the risk of a recession? We always talk about the risk of a self-fulfilling prophecy here. Is that perhaps what we're seeing here too? Consumers simply reacting to 
the sheer level of news flow around recession risks right now? Well, that certainly could be the case. We know that consumers are reacting to tariffs. Um, they've mentioned them actually in the survey. So it's clear that news flow is impacting consumer perceptions, but that's always been the case. There's just such a huge element of psychology in economics and market behavior. What's the message here very quickly to investors who are looking at the Brexit risks, they're, they're looking at the tariff risks, the trade deal risks here. What's the message? Well, I think August provides a cautionary tale. It was a bumpy ride. Yeah. We went through twists and turns and lots of negative news flow and a little positive news flow. But had you just uh, shut it out and gone through the month and stayed the course, uh, you would have been pleasantly surprised with the result. And so I think it's really important for investors to understand that even if we got a, get a lot of negative news flow uh, around the economy, around trade, uh, the key is that the Fed appears poised to be more accommodative. Yes. And so for investors, that's really what matters because the Fed has um, shown itself to be capable of supporting risk assets even when it can't support the economy. Yes, the perfect look ahead tease to uh, Jay Powell and the Federal Reserve meeting later this month. Christina, fantastic to have Thank you, you with us. Thank me. you. Hard hats on, hang on to your seats. Christina Hooper, Chief at Global Market Strategist at Invesco there. All right. Stay with CNN. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is due to speak in Parliament in the next hour. We will be bringing that to you live the moment it begins. But for now, that's it for the show. I'm Julia Chatley. You've been watching it first move. Time to go make yours. Plenty more storm coverage too, of course. Two big stories to watch today. Thank you for being with us and stay tuned. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.